why don't you just open up your Bibles? Who knows where Habakkuk is or Habakkuk or any other way you want to say it? Minor prophets, which simply means it does not mean that their message is not important or any less, you know, major. It just means they didn't write a whole lot. So Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. And the songs that we've been singing this morning have been a great preparation of our hearts. Because this, I have to say, when I first read this book, I was like, what on earth is going on? Because I didn't have the context. I didn't understand what God was saying and how come by chapter 3, Habakkuk has had like a major revelation and now he's like singing God's praises. I couldn't get all that. But it really is worth studying. That's why we're studying it. (laughs) Just to let you know, this won't be like, you know, six weeks in a row or ten weeks in a row or whatever. Um, However long this it takes us to understand these three chapters. It's going to be, I'm going to start this week and do a follow-up next week and then it will be monthly um, after that. You're wondering how we're going to get all that out of three chapters, but I think we will. What do you see? When you look at the world right now, what do you see? Tell the person next to you, what do you, what do you see? Like, do you listen to the news? Do you, do you know what's going on in the world? Just tell them what you see. The next very important question is, if you had the perspective of heaven, I wonder, how would God see it? We see nations in uproar, we see chaos, we see corruption, economic crisis, famine, plagues, we see vaccines, masks, you know, on and on and on. So much fear, so much, actually there's a lot of confusion, there's distrust, all these things, anger, people feel disempowered, so they're lashing out. This is some of what we see, COVID-19 has created an unprecedented global crisis, right? We've heard that. I haven't witnessed anything like this myself, to be honest, in my lifetime. Have you? Any of you out there have lived longer than me? So where is God in all of this? And what is he doing? Has God just abdicated his responsibilities for a little while just to let the craziness die down? Has God caused this crisis? Or has Satan? Well, it must be demonic, right? Because, like, lots of people have died. I mean, how could God be involved with that? But then how could he not be involved in the affairs of the world? So the crisis is challenging. And, in fact, any crisis. But this one is is a global crisis, is, is challenging our assumptions about who God is. In the past year, particularly, crisis has escalated to new levels in the United States. That's been shocking, hasn't it? That's been shocking. God is revealing a nation that is deeply divided, angry, suspicious, violent, there's broken trust, there's bitterness, there's confusion. And people in the church are confused even and fearful and questioning. And in some parts of the body of Christ in the U.S., people, well, not just the U.S., but globally, people are asking, how could the prophets have got it so wrong? 
and demanding answers and apologies. Have you, have you seen any of that? Habakkuk lives, I think, in a similar climate. He lived a long time ago. But he lives in a time of great turmoil. There's a lot of confusion. And his book opens with a complaint against God. He's confused. He's anxious. Um, and I think a little frustrated by God's lack of response to his prayers. There are people around him as well who are feeling these things. And I think they're coming to him as a, as a prophetic voice and saying, Habakkuk, what is going on? Like you're supposed to talk to God. How about you get the word and bring it back? And these are probably the faithful ones in Israel. They can sense that disaster is on the horizon and, and that God is not doing anything. At the same time, the false prophets who were lifting up their voices a lot in the reign of Manasseh and Ammon and probably the, in the early, year, the early little bit of uh, Josiah as well, prophesying false things, prophesying what the people wanted to hear, I would think that with Jehoiakim coming to the throne after King Josiah, if you're lost, don't worry, I'm going to unpack this, those voices would have risen up again. Those false voices, those, those prophetic words of peace, peace. It's okay. God's not going to do this. Hey, the temple's in Jerusalem. Don't worry. But God is silent, actually. God is silent and Habakkuk's words come into that vacuum. So his conversation with God, because God does speak in these three chapters, reveals some powerful insights into the knowledge of God. There are important and painful questions to be grappled with. These will come up. The truth about what's really in our hearts towards God, that will come up. And we will realize that God has designed the end of the age events to confront, to sift, and to purify our hearts. Because Jesus is coming back, not for a confused, disillusioned, despondent, angry, bitter bride, but for a pure and spotless bride. Have you ever wondered how he's going to achieve that? Especially looking around right now. Habakkuk's conversation with God is absolutely key in a time like this. And we must understand it so that we can be prepared for the days ahead. Just realized I've, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. There's a question here. What if, thanks Kate, if you are infected with a spiritual blindness that you don't realize you have, because that's what blindness is, right? It means that you're unable to see or understand what God is doing. Have you felt like that this past year? How does God expose our blindness? If you were God, how would you do it? He does something 
that we don't expect. Or he doesn't do something we do expect. Right? That's how he does it. I've had, I've had significant moments in my life and I've called them crisis of faith. When God has not done what I've expected and he's done something else and it's caused me to wrestle with God. But you know, the end result of that is that my understanding of him has gone deeper. My eyes see differently. And in my eyes, every time this happens, I've seen his holiness, but I've had to make a choice to completely surrender to that holiness and not cling to what I think should happen. So the solution for this blindness is to ask God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him and understand his ways. And the next slide, because understanding is more than knowing information. It's more than head knowledge. You can put a lot of knowledge. I can put a lot of knowledge in here. But if I don't experience God and obey him, right? If I don't read that and then bring it into obedience, the, the, the realm of obedience where I will encounter him, what's the point of information? And in fact, the person of understanding cannot become wise unless they practice, unless they obey, unless they're fully surrendered to that revelation that God brings. If Habakkuk cries out and God brings revelation and then he goes, yeah, I don't like that, God. How dark is his darkness? How dark is his darkness? With that in mind, we're going to listen to an entire reading of the three chapters. Okay, you ready? Close your Bibles. I never say that. This is a one-off. Close your Bibles and switch on these ears and ask the Holy Spirit right now. Thanks, Simon and Chloe. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to give you insight and understanding as you hear these words being spoken out. Prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallop headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. 
They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. By his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they, will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who, who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. 
The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. And with his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Thank you, Simon and Chloe. Mm. It's not an ordinary conversation, is it? 
did that strike you though? I was listening to it again and it's like, this is not an ordinary conversation. What God speaks and then Habakkuk's response, starting just to catch a glimpse of this awesome God who rules and reigns and governs in the affairs of the nations. He's powerful, he's mighty, he's holy, and everything he does is right and just and proceeds from his holiness. It's even loving. He's perfect. Today I just want to speak a few things about context, and next week we'll actually get into chapter 1 and start to really look at this and to learn from this what it is that the Holy Spirit wants us to learn, how he wants to prepare us, shift things in our hearts, uncover, expose and heal any spiritual blindness. We're all, we've all got those blind spots. So first of all, who is Habakkuk? Because there's not much known about him. In fact, he isn't mentioned anywhere else except here in these three chapters. But we know that he's a prophet to Judah. And scholars think he was possibly also a priest. That wouldn't have been uncommon. There were others um, who, who were prophets and priests. The reason for that is that the final chapter of this book is a song. So it's possible that he was a member of the tribe of Levi, who served as musicians in Solomon's temple. All right, And that's pretty much what we know about him. Um, it, it's clear that Habakkuk was living during the reign of the youngest king who, who came to, to the throne. That was Josiah, who came to the, at the age of eight. He became king. Habakkuk overlapped. He was contemporary with Jeremiah and Zephaniah and probably knew Ezekiel and Daniel as well. And it's likely that he prophesied during the first four or five years of King Jehoiakim's reign. King Jehoiakim is a son of Josiah and he came to the throne in 609. The Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem would have been imminent when this conversation was taking place. So that's a little bit of context. Well, that's a little bit about Habakkuk, a bit more about the context, because when you're buying real estate, it's location, location, location. When you're studying the word of God, it's context, context, context. And you may have heard different scriptures in, in Habakkuk's, uh, you know, spoken out of context. Um, I'll, I'll just give you an example. One of the, one of the well-known ones is, and particularly leaders are exhorted to write down their vision for their church and make it known so that people can follow the vision. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, that's not the context. <laughs> okay, so that's not a good use of this verse to say something that is worthwhile saying, but that scripture does, does not highlight that. Okay, this is talking um, about a revelation and God is saying, Habakkuk, you are about to have a revelation. Get your pen out, write it down, and you send it everywhere because your crisis is everyone's crisis. And there needs to be understanding. I'm giving you the understanding, Habakkuk. 
It will come. My plan and my purposes will, will come to pass. But you've got to give understanding to these people because they're interpreting the times and the season and the events in a way that is not worthy of me. Okay? So the context, as I said, there's a, a Babylonian invasion is, is imminent and he, Habakkuk and, and others, are, no doubt others, are very disturbed about this. They can see it on the horizon. They've watched the northern kingdom. Okay, so Habakkuk is prophesying to the southern kingdom, which is otherwise known as Judah. The northern kingdom, so they're the northern tribes, so the ten tribes of the north. In 722 BC, who can tell me what happened to them? The Assyrians, okay, conquered their capital city, I think which was Samaria at the time, and they've been taken off, they've been exiled, and they've been basically integrated into um, Assyria. So that was 722 BC. Like I said, Habakkuk's having this conversation probably around 609, 608, 607, 607, you know, whatever, or in that early years of King Jehoiakim BC. You have to, some of you are going, well, what? You have to think kind of backwards. You have to imagine the timeline, okay? And so when I, yeah, just think about it. The Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem, the first one, actually took place in 605. So let's say Habakkuk is having this conversation with God about four years, give or take, you know, maybe, maybe a bit closer to when the Babylonians actually invaded Jerusalem, but it's, it's close. He can see it coming, um, and he's having this conversation. We know that the invasion of Jerusalem took place in how many stages? How many? Three. Three stages. 605 was the first one. 597 was the second one. 586 was the final one. The temple was destroyed. That's important. It happens progressively. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, is taken off in the first invasion, which is 605. And that's why I say Habakkuk most likely knew Daniel. Um, and Ezekiel was taken in the second lot. Most likely he knew Ezekiel as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about the importance of King Josiah and the, the heritage of the kings. Can you have that next slide, Kate? Yeah. So King Josiah, he's well known, right? We love to read about King Josiah. Why? We like him. Yeah? He's a good guy. Loved God. Comes to the throne at the age of eight. Anyone here eight years old? Yes. Oh, Josh, come here quickly. Quick, 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 quick. Okay? Here we go. You're on the live stream. He's eight. He's eight. How would you like to be the king at the age of eight? A lot. <laughs> okay. You need some more training. <laughs> okay. Imagine that. King Josiah comes to the throne at the age of eight. And at that time, you know what? That's how desperate God is. No offense to eight-year-olds. Okay. Why do I say that? King Josiah's father is Ammon, wicked king. Ammon's father is Manasseh, wicked king. Hezekiah is Manasseh's 
father. So, and he did a lot of good things, Hezekiah, but he didn't end well, unfortunately. And he was warned as well about the invasion if, if there wasn't repentance. And anyway, you can read about King Hezekiah. Judah is getting perilously close to being taken. God's word is going to come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie and you can't mock God. When he says something, will t- if he says there's a consequence for sin, there's a consequence for sin. Just because you're not actually experiencing that consequence right now does not mean you got away with it. The wages of sin is death. Okay? So here we have two very wicked kings. In fact, Manasseh was probably the ultimate wicked king. Judah is in a terrible state, right? God brings an eight-year-old. Isn't that sweet? He brings an eight-year-old to the throne. Why do you think? Do you reckon he can teach and train an eight-year-old? Yeah, I think so. And the priest, the high priest at the time, and the chief scribe, their names were Hilkiah and Shaphan. They were godly men. Guess who got to influence him the most? These godly men. It's like Samuel, you know, being raised up in the wicked tent of Eli, if you like. But God trains him. And so God has that little boy on the throne. And the scriptures tell us, this is a wonderful story. The scriptures tell us that, that when Josiah, like, like a few years later, a few years later, I don't have my Bible open at that, that spot, I think it's eight, uh, when he was 16, that's right, comes to the throne eight. When he was 16, he begins to seek out the God of his father, David. So something's been going on in his life as a, as a, as a young one, and he's been trained. And then when he turns 16, it's like he comes of this age and he begins to seek out not the ways of his father and his grandfather, but the ways of the God of his father, David, King David. All right, that's, how the, that's an expression that they use. By the time he's 26, actually, actually he turns 20 and he begins to purge the land. Any 20-year-olds in the room? Just as well. (laughs) By the time he's 20, he begins to purge the land. Any 19-year-olds? I know we've got 21-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. He's out there in a wicked nation and he begins to purge the land of all the high places, all the wickedness, all the defilement. He even burns the bones of the priests who were defiling God's altar. It's just, you you need to read that. If you want to get an insight into the holiness of God and what matters and what doesn't matter, you need to read Josiah's reforms. Because the spirit of the God got the spirit of God got hold of Josiah, and he knew. And during this time, actually, when he was twenty six, in fact, he initiated this um, this restore and repair of the temple. So they're going through. He's got all the priests and whoever going through all the temple, you know, like just a house clean, basically spring cleaning the temple, and they find the book of the law. And so ironic, isn't it? Like. 
that book of the law has just been sort of like tucked away and nobody's ever had it out. Well, why bother? None of the kings were very interested in the book of the law. But Josiah is different. And so that book gets brought to him and Shaphan reads from it. Okay, Hilkiah and Shaphan, these godly men, they don't get mentioned very much, but they bring this book to him and it gets read and he is absolutely undone. Josiah is undone when he reads the book of the law. Now, the book of the law is generally a reference to the book of Deuteronomy. That is a recap of the law of Moses. And, and it's also included in there other curses for disobedience and the blessings for obedience. And this whole book, you think three chapters took a long time. The whole book is read to him by the time, by the end of it, he is undone. He is moved. And how do we know it was repentance? Cause he got up and he did something. And this is when revival through the reforms of Josiah begins to break out. Now, Josiah was king for 31 years. So for the first 20 years, it was intense. And the prophets at the time must have been rejoicing. Interesting, Jeremiah, right? Those of you who know Jeremiah, read his book. You know, he prophesied for 40 years. He begins to prophesy in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. So he's got Hilkiah, he's got Shaphan, he's got these godly men instructing him. And then Jeremiah at a young age, another young one, right? Because he says, I'm only a child, God, I can't do this. And God says, yes, you can. Another young one. He is the son of Hilkiah, the high priest. How about that? It says he's the son, son of Hilkiah. He begins to prophesy. So he is bringing, as a young one, he is bringing the word of the Lord to Josiah as well. And he's speaking into Josiah's life about, and to the people as well, about if they, what's going to happen because they have actually turned. Now, what I've left out here is that when they found the book of the law, and it's read to Josiah and he repents. He is absolutely horrified and terrified. Because the book of the law says that there's consequences for the nation that does not follow God. For them as a nation, if they've turned away from the living God, there's a whole list of consequences. And he can see exactly where they're up to in the ever-increasing, worsening consequences because the final consequence is what happened to, to the northern kingdom and they were taken into exile and they were no more. And Judah is this far. And Josiah is terrified. And you know what he says? <laughs> it's just so interesting. You know, when, when the prophets are confused and prophesying things in the land that aren't really quite true, Josiah goes, there's, I'll give you a paraphrase. He goes, there's this one person I know. They're going to know. They're going to know. They're going to hear from God about this disaster and if God's going to bring it on us. And so he sends them off to the prophetess Huldah. She's the one. He goes to her. I, I expect that she was probably an older woman at this time. They pour out the whole story and she listens to God. And she says, yes, 
Yep, the consequences of all that are going to come to pass. There is disaster decreed for Judah. It is as the book of the law said. She says, but Josiah, because you listened, Josiah, because you repented, when you heard, you acted, you'll be spared. You're going to be spared that. It's not going to be in your lifetime. Second Kings 23 verse 25 says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. There's a whole chapter on how he celebrated the Passover. When he was 26 years old, he led the land in a celebration of the Passover like, like they'd never, ever seen. Hezekiah celebrated the Passover, but this was different. Read about it. So Josiah is killed in battle. I'm not going to go into that. don't have time. He's killed in battle at the end of his 31 years. A battle. He comes out and actually... God tries to warn him not to get involved in this battle. Egypt is rising up as a world power. I wonder if we've got that map there. It might be there. Yeah, here we go. So here's Judah, Assyria. This nation is in decline. Babylon is rising up. And here's Judah and here's Egypt. Okay. Josiah dies in a battle because he marches out against the king of Egypt. The king of Egypt wins that battle, Josiah's wounds from that battle end up in him dying soon after and Judah becomes like a vassal nation of the, of the Egyptians. It's interesting because there's one little king in there after Josiah, his name is Jehoahaz. He, it says, the people took him and made him king. Now he is a son of Josiah but he's actually not the next one in line for the throne. But the people took him and made him king and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But the king of Egypt takes him off the throne after three months because he was rebelling against Egypt and puts the next king of Judah, which is King Jehoiakim, also a son of Josiah, puts him on the throne. And he reigns for 11 years. This is where Habakkuk is now. He's prophesying, most likely, to King Jehoiakim, who is also a wicked king. Can you believe that after a good king for 31 years, a revival in the land, within three months, it's all turned around? Can you believe that? I find that astounding. Do you not? And then I think to Revelation, and I think after a thousand years of Jesus' reign and rule on the earth, there is going to be a rebellion. Wow, who could possibly want to rebel against Jesus after experiencing a thousand years of his reign? No wonder Jeremiah said the human heart is absolutely deceitful. More deceitful than you could imagine. That desire to be independent, in control of your own life, do your own thing. When the pressure's on, boy, that rises up. And that's what this pressure does. And that's what pressure in our lives does. And that's why this is written.
So in summary, Habakkuk is deeply concerned, if not in anguish, over Judah's predicament. He's known revival under King Josiah. But he's also heard the prophecy of Hulda. So he's like, well, is Hulda right? Is there, is there going to be a consequence? I mean, we've had this amazing revival. God has been merciful. Surely, God, is there another way? You've delivered Judah once. The temple's here. We're supposed to be in the land. It doesn't really make sense. God, would you intervene? God, why are you silent? The Babylonians are rising up. They're coming towards us. Why are you silent? Habakkuk needs to hear from God. Is he ready to hear from God? You know, we can think we're, we need to hear from God. God, I need to know. I need a response before Friday. I've got decisions to make. What if he's silent? Habakkuk perhaps doesn't realize in that moment that he's afflicted by a spiritual blindness. A blindness, as I said before, that many of us share. But God isn't going to leave him there. Because Habakkuk loves God. And God loves Habakkuk. And God's heard everything he said. But he's bringing him to a very important place. Because God doesn't just want Habakkuk to understand this. He wants us to understand this. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think that is amazing? Looking back, I wouldn't like to be in the amazing moment that that Habakkuk was in. But isn't that amazing that we who have been prepared, because you know what? We're going to find out that God's revelation and his answer and his sovereignty and the way he's dealing with this situation relates to a time that is still coming years later. That's who God is. I'm so worried about my life. And he's planning the return of his son. He's planning the nations surrendering. And yet he involves me in that. So next week we're going to start to unpack chapter one. Perhaps if I could just have the worship team come. There's a bit of context for you. I hope that's helpful because when I, like I said, when I read this book for the first time with no context, it was difficult. (laughs) You know, what was going on? I just want to lead you in a time of response right now because I felt as I was preparing that this is what God wanted to raise with us this morning. Here's a question. I'm just asking a bunch of questions. Why don't you just close your eyes? Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? First question. Are you willing to have your assumptions about God challenged? Not by me. By God himself. Are you willing Will you ask the Holy Spirit to surface any lies or assumptions that are causing you to cling 
to false and humanistic ideas about God, which is to think of him as less than the holy God that he is. I've shared with you before, in my early 30s, God surfaced the fear of death, the fear of pain and the fear of suffering, crippling fears that had been sowed into my life through a family trauma. Praise God today that those crippling fears came into the light and were disarmed. Because the hidden assumption that I held to at one time was that God's highest good was to heal and to alleviate people's pain and suffering. That's not true. That's not his highest intention. these fears had distorted my view of his greatness his holiness, his majesty his other than nature they'd entered and they'd become rooted into my life and they were hindering me I'm not alone we are all afflicted Habakkuk's crisis is our crisis. Experiencing God, knowing God, encountering God, reading his word and the eyes of our spirit being illuminated, that's what we need. That's what we need. But do you want this? Are you willing to lay down lies and assumptions and thoughts about him that are not worthy of him? Thoughts that make him way too small. Thoughts that he knows about. He's not perturbed by that. He'll just continue to act as the holy God, all-powerful God that he is. But will we face our fears? Are you willing to look at past disappointments? Will you take captive anything that is exalting itself above the true knowledge of God? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you're the one who knows us intimately. You're here. ask right now Holy Spirit that you would bring a healing in people's lives right now a healing through revelation Holy Spirit would you show where the lie got rooted in would you spotlight that fear spotlight the pride so that we can know you. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. We must know you, God. 
come and have your way. Lead us to repentance. Let your kindness lead us to repentance, to right seeing. Thank you, God, for this book. Thank you that it has been preserved by your command for your purposes. We receive it, we treasure it, and we ask for the grace to submit, to submit to what you are teaching us through it and what you will teach us. In Jesus' name.